Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I thought I had appendicitis, so I had this pain on my right side, and they basically they took out my appendix, and then that was kind of the start of it. And then within three months... I lost the ability to walk, talk, and function. And so I slipped into a vegetative state pretty quickly. Um, but leading up to that, the doctors didn't know what was going on. So a few of them told my parents that I was most likely doing it for attention. And unfortunately, because they did not uh, know too much about these conditions at the time and saying that I was doing it for attention, they actually missed a really crucial treatment window. So it all could have been prevented by a single dose of steroids. But they didn't do that. So by the time I had, by the time I became unresponsive, it was too late for anything. And so for th- for about a year and a half in, I'm just laying there, unresponsive, and I don't remember too much of that time. But then I wake up, and I'm locked in, and so like I'm completely aware of what's going on. I can see and hear, but I can't move my eyes. I can't move anything. Oh my so God. I'm. I, All right, guys, welcome back to Growth Minds. Today, we have Victoria Arlen on here today. Thanks so much for being on. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no problem. I think a lot of people here that are listening that may not know your backstory certainly recognize you from Dancing with the Stars and being on ESPN as a host, the youngest person to ever be hired as a personality, (laughs) should I mention. Um, But you have such a fascinating and inspiring kind of this zero to hero history that we all love that I think, you know, everybody would love to hear. Um, I know that at the age of 10 or 11, 11, 11, you had a very rare condition. It's so rare that I don't even know how to pronounce. Yes. I only just figured it out a few years ago how to pronounce it. And even, even now it's still challenging. Okay. Can you do us the favor of sharing? Yeah. Cause I, it's, it's like in front of me, but I don't even know how to pronounce it. Do you want to give it a try? I mean, I was born in Korea, so maybe that's my excuse. <laughs> Is but. that your excuse? Sorry, it's fine. <laughs> Been here for 20, 20 years or so, yeah. It's called uh, transverse myelitis. So close. It was my, myelitis. Myelitis. Okay. And then did you? And then the second one is acute disseminated encephalomyelitis. Nope, so close. That, that, was, not, that was not close. You're being that was nice. not close. I was, was being very close. nice. Yeah. Yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. We uh, just met, so I have to be nice. True, but, uh, true. Encepho- encephalomyelitis. Gosh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where do they come up with these names, first of all? I have no idea. I think the myelitis part is what this condition affects is the myelin, so which is like that right. protective layer by your spine and your brain. And then encepho is your brain. And then transverse, I don't know, maybe your spine. I feel like I should know the answers to right. these. But I mean, basically, my it. spine and my brain got really messed up from these two conditions. And you don't normally get both. Right. But as my dad says, I've always been one to just kind of go for it. So why not get both? <laughs> right, right. Why not? It was yeah. like a voluntary thing that you just chose? It wasn't. But looking right. at it now, you have to have that perspective because you could, I feel like you could turn around and be like, why did I get both and all this stuff? And woe is me. And I was like, hey, yeah. better me than someone else. So, Gosh. Well, the fact that you're even it. able to joke around it and, and, and smile around it. I wasn't even sure if I should, but 
I know we exchanged. Oh, I have a uh, very twisted sense of humor. Yes. I think I got yes. that from my family. And, uh, and that was really, I mean, we had a theory that if you don't laugh, you'll cry. So who wants to cry? Wow. And so we really just found humor in all of it. And I think I've found more humor in it now because I'm on the other end. But also you have to. Otherwise, it's so intense and it's so sad. And I don't want to be sad. Like it has a happy ending. So yes, and it does. We did laugh along the way. There was a lot of tears, but there was also a lot of laughter. And so I think with this story and with everything, you have to keep the joy amongst the pain. Yes, yes. And it certainly wasn't always happy, of course. It was mm-hmm. essentially just it's a swelling in your spine yeah. and your brain. Mm-hmm. So talk to us a little bit. Like, Take us back to when you were at that age and you discovered all of these things that were happening. And, and talk to us about what your family went through. So it happened kind of suddenly where they thought I had appendicitis. So I had this pain on my right side and they basically, they took out my appendix and then that was kind of the start of it. And then within three months, I lost the ability to walk, talk and function. And so I slipped into a vegetative state pretty quickly. Um, But leading up to that, the doctors didn't know what was going on. So a few of them told my parents that I was most likely doing it for attention. And unfortunately, because they did not uh, know too much about these conditions at the time and saying that I was doing it for attention, they actually missed a really crucial treatment window. So it all could have been prevented by a single dose of steroids, but they didn't do that. So by the time I had, by the time I became unresponsive, it was too late for anything. And so for, for about a year and a half in, I'm just laying there unresponsive and I don't remember too much of that time. But then I wake up and I'm locked in. And so, like, I'm completely aware of what's going on. I can see and hear, but I can't move my eyes. I can't move anything. Oh, my God. So it's it's called locked-in syndrome, and no one knows. And then I'm hearing these doctors tell my parents that I'm not going to make it or that I'll be a vegetable the rest of my life, and they need to move on with their lives. And and I'm like, no, no, I'm still here. So you can think clearly. Clear as day. Yeah, I remembered who I was, everything. Like, it, it was as if nothing had happened to my brain. Whoa. But I was unresponsive, so no, I couldn't respond to anyone. I couldn't say anything. I was literally locked in. And were your like eyes able to move at all, or just nothing? No, they were just fixed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Holy so I could crap. see wherever they were pointed, but what was- what were the doctors and the and the nurses saying? I guess you were, they were saying that you were faking it at one point. Not and- even, at this point. No, at this point okay. they were like, "This is very serious." They figured out kind of the conditions and everything, but there was nothing they could do. They basically said to my parents, yeah, she's she's going to die, and if she doesn't die, she'll be a vegetable the rest of her life, and the Victoria you knew is not coming back. And so at that point, they have, you know, this these, these diagnoses, and then the prognosis that was even worse of, yeah. like, either death or just forever to be in this vegetative state. And so they basically told my parents, they're like, you need to just give up this fight. You need to put her away in a home, move on with your life, and I'm... I'm one of triplets, and so my family's never been one to back down from a challenge. And right. so my parents were like, all right, we'll set up a hospital room in our house, and we'll take care of her ourselves. Oh, so you weren't in the hospital this entire time. So I was in and out. Okay. So when it was really bad, I was in the hospital. And then when it was a little more stable, I was at home with, like, nursing. And we basically had a, a whole hospital facility in our living room. Oh, my God. This yeah. gives me, like, flashbacks. Have you seen the movie um, Awake? 
with yes. Jessica Alba in it. Yes. You must have. Okay. Yes. Maybe maybe you wouldn't want to see it, but oh I, no, I've seen it. It's so good, but I know that feeling. Oh my gosh! So for yeah. people that don't know, it's a movie with Jessica Alba and the another Hayden Christensen, fam- famous guy, another yeah. one, another one, and he is going through. He's like a wealthy guy in New York, yeah. I think, and he's going through heart surgery. And they, he has anesthesia awareness. And he's anesthesia, yeah, which is common apparently. It's, very it's like common. one in like a thousand or something mm-hmm. like that. And he's just like you, locked in. Mm-hmm. And they're cutting him open. And they're cutting him open, and he's awake. And he's like awake. he's fully mentally yeah. awake. And the whole plot is them trying to plot to kill him, I guess. Yeah, to, and take his money. to take his money and all mm-hmm. of his wealth. Jessica uh, Alba seduced him. Oh, so yeah. she's. She She's was the bad person. Oh, I was, yeah, it's been yeah. a while since I've seen it's that movie. A thing. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, it's but a great ex- movie. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 a great movie, <laughs> yeah. but that's exactly what I thought about. Mm. Just the, the just like I can't even imagine how horrific that was. Just being able to see and like hear what everyone else was saying. Uh, yeah, it was it was not fun. I don't recommend it. But I think the worst part was that like one there was one there's one vivid memory that I have. And it was about, we were about almost four years in, and my nose was really itchy. And I wanted to scratch my nose so bad. I was like, can someone please, for the love of God, scratch my nose? Oh, God. Like, please, can someone scratch my nose? And I remember, like, in that moment, out of all the other moments throughout this vegetative state, <laughs> I am sitting it. there, and I am like, what the heck? Like, I want to scratch my nose. Like, I was like, this sucks. Oh, my God. And so, God. for the most part, like, I was able to find, you know, um, like, find kind of a, a, like, like get through it. But then, yeah. like, when you really have to scratch your nose and then it gets itchier and itchier and itchier, I was like, all right, this is it. Like, oh I can't my do God. this. Like, I can't. I need to scratch my nose, please. Was that the moment where you're like, okay, now my life is better? Is, like, the first moment you're able to scratch oh, well, your nose? Oh, I will when- do. So I do motivational speaking. And yes. I um, was at an event a few months ago in Dallas, and there was 25,000 people there, and I made everyone scratch their nose <laughs> as, like, a perspective thing of, like, sometimes yes. we – we get so caught up in, in that little tornado that is life and, and we're doing things and doing things and doing things and we're not realizing that sometimes you just need to stop and take a minute and have right. a minute of gratitude. And so like I, I literally, I'll do it myself. Or I will stop and scratch my nose and be like, okay, like chill out. That's so awesome. I made 25,000 people stop and scratch their nose. And I was like, this must look so funny right <laughs> now. But it's a perspective thing where it I was is. like that yes. moment for me sitting there or laying there and not being able to even scratch my nose was right. like a huge like eye-opening experience for me that sometimes now when I forget or when I'm doing a million different things or I'm really stressed I will stop and scratch my nose and be like, right. okay, remember where you've come from remember that even just this action alone is pretty darn miraculous yes no kidding yeah it's so, so much easier than like trying to find a rose and smelling the rose yeah I'm like you, you know? literally have access yeah like, scratch your nose or whatever you want to scratch so much yeah. easier yeah yeah. Well, that's it's it's so inspiring to hear that kind of story. Um, but you certainly didn't stop there, right? You were you were in this in this vegetative mode, as as is yeah. called. And you talk talk to us about that moment when you start to see some signals of hope. Yeah. So I started blinking. I got control of my eyes and made eye contact with my mom, and she kind of could see that I was literally staring her down. And and wow. she we started communicating through blinking. And that was kind of how I started coming back to life and then learned how to talk and learned how to kind of navigate the world in a wheelchair and really just dove back into it. I came back in February of 2010 and was was uh, back in the pool that summer and then back in school that September. So I really just Holy was like crap. ready to go. 
I was like, I've been waiting for four years for this. Let's go. So when you were lying down in this vegetative state, were you thinking about this moment of if for whatever reason you were able to come back, were you thinking about all the things that you missed out on and that you would do if you were to wake up? Oh, absolutely. Yes, you were. I knew I was like, I want to make the most of this second chance and so I kind of made a bit of a hefty bucket list right scratch your nose scratch my nose is a big one one. yeah big one and I think I think I just realized I was going to really just have no fear when it comes to just going after things and and I think a lot of us have these crazy dreams but we also can talk ourselves out of it and so Mm. for me I was like I'm not talking myself out of anything like when I come back I'm making the most of this second chance and gonna try to make a difference along the way were you like that before the condition itself was was that something that you've always been and you just kind of like stepped up a notch after this experience yeah I always had crazy dreams like when I was five I told my mom I was going to win a gold medal and then when I was 10 I told her I was going to dance on dancing with the stars and she's no like after the gold way. medal and I was like yeah I think so and then I was and then I would I would get really caught up with I really wanted to help people like I was always yeah. I was always wanting to help people so I was like I really want to change the world too and my mom's like so after the gold medal and after dancing with the stars you want to change the world and I was like yeah and she's like okay great she's like we support you and so I always just had these kind of crazy things that I threw up in the air, but I never really wow. knew how or when or even the cost it would take to achieve those things. Right. So I think so. I think I was a bit of a dreamer. And then a lot of those dreams were kind of my lifeline when I was in that vegetative state where I was like, okay, you're one step closer to this. You're one step closer to doing that. And I yeah. would watch a lot of ESPN. So I would be like, all right, you're one step closer to doing something cool like that. And, oh, and wow. so I think I just kind of kept – kept my mind focused on the future and not, you know, the fact that we didn't know what was, what tomorrow or even, you know, five minutes from, from then would, would bring. My God. Mm. So you, you start to have signals, you're blinking and you're able to talk. Did you have to relearn all of that? Cause it's been four years since you've been in that state. So there's a lot of atrophy and, and just, you just, if you don't move it, you lose it. Right. So I worked around the clock with speech therapists, occupational therapists, physical therapists. I'm also very stubborn. So <laughs> I was I wouldn't I would leave those appointments. I would be doing stuff at home and having right. my family help me with different things or or quiz me on, okay, ask me to say this sentence or tell give me a sentence to say. And so oh. I think between, you know, the the team of therapists and then my family, I think we had a pretty solid kind of around the clock you're just going 24-7. Yeah, I was no ready. Breaks. I was like, You're I don't want to sit in. and wait. Like, I want to get, I want to figure this out and I want to go. And because wow. I, I think because I was aware for those four years, I was kind of like, all right, I'm over this. Let's go. Like, yeah, let's, yeah. like let's go. I've been planning this for a very long time. And so, um, so kind of just, just kind of dove right into it. I really, yeah. I think that was also a coping mechanism for me, but I really just wanted to get going and, and start living my life. What was the hardest part of needing to relearn? I think how how slow it took and how um, with talking especially because you, you hear things in your head. Like mm. you sometimes can hear before you say it. And so I would hear what I, would, what I wanted to say and then it wouldn't always come out as quick as, I, as, quick as I'd wanted or as clear as I'd wanted or as, as um, at sounding as good as I wanted it. So I think it was that yeah. patience in that process of coming back to life because right. my body was really weak and my body hadn't really done much in four years so I was really really starting from square one but I wanted so badly to be 
already at the top of the stairs and I but you have to take a step and another yeah. step and another step but I was so ready to be at the top mentally of the you were there and mentally it was I was just at the top your body of the stairs. was trying to catch up this yeah, whole time exactly yeah so I think it was learning that uh learning to kind of trust the process but also embrace the process gotcha yeah. gotcha so at the age of 14 I believe is when you started to recover and started 15. to like 15 yeah 15. okay yeah, yeah, yeah. so then you have to go back to high school at that time right oh, or did yeah. you yeah yep you did. I hadn't been in school since the fifth grade. Oh my gosh. And that I was, was your... a new kid in high school in and a wheelchair. Did they. With did... bangs. My mom gave me bangs. <laughs> she thought that was a style. Yeah. And <laughs> I was like in the bed. I was like, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. And I was like, sweet baby Jesus, take me now. I was like, I can't come back to this. Oh no. I mean, there's no Instagram where you can see the modern styles, I guess, right? No. Oh it man. Wasn't, it wasn't a look for me. Bangs are not a look for me. Oh but. boy. Yeah, so I came back to high school, and um, I'm one of triplets, so my triplet brothers were sophomores, and I was mm. a freshman, and right. so I basically figured out uh, how to double up my courses and make up five years in three years, because I wasn't going to be left behind. That wasn't your, that wasn't an option. No, yeah. no, and high school was so miserable, so I was like, nope, let's get in and get out. So what was that like? I mean, did you... Did you recognize people that you knew when you were grade five? Is, so was that a moved. thing? So we, we were in a complete, like, fresh start. Right. So there was a few friends that I knew um, from, from swimming and stuff growing up. But it was, it, was yeah. kind of, it was a bit of a fresh start. So most people didn't know my story. Yeah. 90% of the people didn't know my story, which I really liked because I didn't okay. want to be talking about my story in high school. I was, like, ready to move on. Completely. Yeah. Here you are telling your whole story. I know. Though, and that's the thing. <laughs> the other day, someone was like, wow, so how, what was it like? Like, what has it been like telling your story? Or what was that decision like telling your story? I was like, I was kind of forced into it. Like, it was never part of my plan to ever share the story. Whoa. But I think with doing more, doing things in the public eye, there was a lot of questions. Like, well, where did you right. come from? And the, and I would kind of throw sprinkles of, of bits and pieces of my story. And then they kind of took and and rolled and kept rolling and then I was like oh I gotta tell more and then and then it kind of just became what it is now right yeah but it was never part of my plan I was kind of like let's move on it's fine like everything's fine yeah people want to hear the the nitty-gritty kind of the the zero hero story um so you you go back to high school and were you in were you still in a wheelchair at this time then I only just got out of my wheelchair in 2016 three years ago yeah I know how bad like high school kids are. Also, They're like I've been bullied. Just brutal. Yes, you've been bullied too. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I would yeah. like eat lunch by myself in the washroom sometimes. Same. Just, like, I ate it in a teacher's like little lounge area. Oh no. Yeah, I didn't go to the calf. So, h- how did you deal with that? Like, was there actually just people being like shitty about it? Oh, it was just horrible. Yeah, I was bullied for being in a wheelchair, and I was at, I was it was to a point where I was like, I don't really understand it. Like, I don't. I can't help. I'm, this is how I get around. And kids are just cruel. Kids were really cruel. And um, I think swimming became a saving grace for me because I was training. I was training for London. So I really had that focus. And so yeah. I would come in, go to school. I had like three solid friends in school that looked out for me. And then right. I would go to swim practice. So I didn't really have time for unnecessary, you know, drama, which which is being popular comes with drama, as I've heard from friends who, who were popular back in high school. And right. so I had, yeah, I was bullied. But at, this, at the same time, I had an amazing group of friends. I had a family that loved me. And I was on a different path than these other kids. So I right. just focused on that. And, and it was funny because my senior year was London. So I came back 
my senior year after London, and then no one bullied me after oh, that. Oh, wow. Because all of a sudden we Full were circle. with everyone. Yeah. Oh, my yeah, God. So success is the best revenge. If you're ever in a yeah. situation where people just let your actions and what you do for yourself and for others speak louder than, than sitting at someone saying, that's not nice. Like, no. Yeah. It wasn't nice, but at the end of the day, when I came back to school with a gold medal, didn't really have to say much not, after that. Yeah. yeah. Work in silence, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I commend you for even what you're doing now by sharing your story, being a motivational speaker, especially at an early age where you've had doctors or nurses. Like you've, you've really seen like the people that were, I guess you couldn't even question why people were treating you this way yeah. when you were helpless in many ways from the hospital to, to, the ho- to high school. And here you are giving back to people that I guess are in a similar situation now um, so I really commend you for that, first Thank of all. Thank you. That's so kind of you. Thank you. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been a journey, but I feel like we all have two different ways of going about it. You can be negative and bitter, and or you can just be full of gratitude and let your journey unfold the way it's supposed to and try yeah. to make a difference along the way. Wow. And mm-hmm. so you decide to now, while you were in high school, pursue <laughs> uh, London and the Paralympics. Yep. Uh, talk to us a little bit about how you got through that journey. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't a conventional way. I mean, it, it kind of happened very quickly. I mean, my brothers threw me in the water in 2010 and, and kind of helped me get over that fear. And then I just started swimming kind of for fun. And then I got into a few competitions, got beat by eight-year-olds, got my butt kicked by eight-year-olds, actually. Oh, my God. And, and this, you were 15 at that time? I was, yeah, I was 16 at that time. Um, 15 sounds a little better, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, and, and I just, I loved it. And I, and it was, uh, it was a way to get out of my wheelchair to find a little freedom and to kind of forget for, you know, two hours a day. And then, and then I'm very competitive. So then I just started competing and then mm. realized, you know, when I, when I kind of got on the Paralympic circuit, I'm like, Oh, I could, I think I could do this. And there was a lot of doubters. There was a lot of people who were like, yeah. people have been training for eight, four, eight, you know, 12 years to go to these games and and I hadn't I had been only been back for you know two years at that point and so uh I went to trials and I I had this amazing coach and and my mom as well and so the two of them really really pushed me and uh, I went to trials and we were just like hey let's give it a try we'll see what happens and um my first event, I broke a world record, a very old world record. Whoa. So that kind of, we were kind of like, ooh, I think, I think we might be on to something here. And then the second day, I broke another record. And then I was like, I think I'm on to something here. And, cause I, but I'm never one that says, oh, I got this. I was always right. like, all right, well, I got to keep doing better. And so um, by the time trials had, had come and gone, I, I was, I made the team and all of a sudden my family's like, wait, we're, we're going to London. And so oh my um, God. it was a really cool experience. It was very intimidating though. I was 17 and yeah. I had never swam in front of more than 20 people. And there was like 22,000 people in the stands in London. And oh I'm going up God. against like their fav, their, the London's golden girl, like team GB's golden girl. And so, uh, it was a lot, but um, but yeah. the final race was when I won gold, and it was a really cool moment because I got to see my family cry like tears of joy for the first time versus Whoa. like tears of sadness, and so I feel like that was a solidifying moment for all of us that we were going to be okay and that right. everything was okay. This was the kind of the the, the milestone that you guys needed. to Yeah, it was kind of realizing like, forward. all right, the shoe's not going to drop. Like we're okay. Wow. And yeah. what was the style that you were swimming? Freestyle. Freestyle. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so then move forward. You are now. I guess you get a call from ESPN. Is that is that the way it happened? Or talk to us uh, about no, how? No. It actually. I had done a bunch of press tours after London and was um, was kind of going doing a lot of TV appearances. So I had been started getting recruited in the TV space, but was like, no, no, no. I'm good. Like I'm fine. Like I'm yeah. an athlete. You know. And, right. Um, right. But I I had this feeling that. It was time. It, I had this gut feeling that it was kind of time to find something else and find mm. a new challenge. And and uh, and because swimming was a lot, and my body was breaking down, and uh, and I was kind of I was at this like turn crossroads, if you will. And so I went down to ESPN for a speaking event and also doing a little a little bit of press there. And one of the executives came up to me and he's like, "Have you thought of a career in broadcasting?" Now I'm 19 at the time. Yeah. And I was like, uh, "Not really, no," but but it's cool, but I don't know if it's for me. And he's like, well, let's go on a tour. And so we go on a tour, and we happen to watch a live taping of SportsCenter. And it was a light bulb moment, literal hmm. light bulb moment. And so I started job shadowing with different anchors. And every time I'd job shadow, I'd meet with different executives who told me, you're too young, you have no experience. People, people get auditions here after 20 years of experience. Like, you don't come here when you're not even 20 years old, right? So a year goes by, and I'm just job shadowing, and I was like, look, I'll deliver coffee. Like, I'll do whatever. Like, I just want to learn here. And right. I couldn't, I couldn't fight the light bulb. It, it just kind of kept, it kept shining its light, so I just knew. And um, it was an executive producer who, who called me into his office, and he offered me a job as a reporter for the Special Olympic World Games, and it was the first ever broadcast on ABC and ESPN. And it was this all-star lineup of reporters and anchors, and then he wanted to add me to the mix. And it was one of those like kind of moments that if I had not been sitting in a wheelchair, I think I would have fallen over. But I thank oh God, my God. Like, my legs were – I was already sitting. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that became kind of my tryout. And then uh, right just shy of my 21st birthday, I got an official, like, an official contract, moved to Connecticut, and – continued the journey and then here i am like four four and a half years later that's insane yeah because you were talking about the dreams that you had when you were young yeah. right which was seems like it was mostly like to perform as as like an athlete yeah like it was mostly yeah, like yeah. a physical thing yeah and i can see some synergy there but yeah i i imagine when you were first kind of introduced to this idea of being a presenter yeah that what was going through your mind at that time well i was it fascinated me because it was mm. so different than what I had already done before. I've also been very comfortable in front of cameras too. So, uh. and I love to talk and I love to tell <laughs> stories yeah. and, and, um, and so I think it, it all worked together. It, it had, right. a, it, it was kind of the, the calling that I didn't even know I had and it mm. called me way more and it clicked way more than sports had ever clicked for me. And so it was kind of one of those moments where sometimes you don't even realize that you're calling or what, what, really is driving you is right there will literally find you and right. so that's kind of what happened and then my first um my first official day on the job I I interviewed this incredible athlete and he he had this moment and he um he was a special mix athlete he's he had been competing for like 15 years and and he just said I'm an athlete and that like that sound bite just traveled all over and that was a moment where I was struck and I was like how is this my job this is so cool taking wow. someone's story who's never really been told or giving someone a voice and giving them a microphone and and how many lives were affected by that singular sentence and so there was a lot of that that really it was more with with swimming it was you know you're you're it's a 
as an athlete, you know, you put your heart into it, but you're competitive and you want to win and you want to do all these things. And then when I got into presenting and broadcasting, it was kind of a different, it wasn't just, it wasn't about me anymore. It was about other people. And I loved that. And that really gave me a whole different purpose. And I imagine the people that are the athletes that are actually talking to you, not only can you understand what they're going through that I imagine most traditional, uh, reporters cannot yeah. but i imagine they also relate to you so they're able to share more things to you mm-hmm. so in the end it, it totally makes sense that you have this role yeah and it was an incredible uh it was an incredible start to my career right. and i still i'm still very involved with special Olympics, and we cover it but it w- i couldn't think of a more perfect fit to almost introduce me to the world of broadcasting wow it was really powerful and you feel like now this is something you want to continue doing Broadcasting? Yes. Yeah. Continue doing. And, yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, it's worked out so far. So <laughs> I feel like I should keep that. I should keep that going. Um, but yeah, I love it. It's really cool. And and uh, in this last year, especially, I've gotten to do a lot more than just ESPN. So it's been fun to continue to be challenged and and find my voice more and more. Right. You know, my boss and I always joke that when I started, I was in kindergarten, and now I feel like I'm in middle school. I'm a big hit now, yes. You know, yes. so um, so it's been fun finding my voice, and it's been fun working with so many cool people, and and seeing how else I can be challenged and be better. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's 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 funny, right? People told you through the state that you could never move, yeah. and you perform at the highest level by winning a gold medal, and then. Uh, now with Dancing with the Stars, and people told you that you couldn't talk, and here you are. I'm a professional talker. Professional, <laughs> professional talker. Yeah, you should pursue yeah. some stand-up comedy too while I you're at it. I love that. <laughs> I'm such a, I'm such a uh, comedy junkie. So that would be fun. I love it. Yeah. Um, so I, I want to kind of end it off. I, I know you do a lot of giving back, not only with mm-hmm. mo- motivational speaking, but you have uh, Project Walk. Boston. Yep. And I then believe. the Victoria's Victory Foundation. And the Victoria's. Uh, which one are you more involved? I guess you're involved with both, but. So my mom owns and operates Project Walk Boston. That's where I learned to walk. But I am. Um, my foundation, the Victoria's Victory Foundation, is where we're able to kind of help and, and help people all over the country, mm. you know, find their victory. Because when people are. When you're struck with a disability, there's no manual and there's not a lot of support always and so we try to come in and, and be that support for people and say okay what's your victory or what's your goal and how can we help you achieve that and for most people it's just getting a wheelchair getting the right fitting wheelchair or a ramp into their home or a wheelchair van so they can leave their home and um, with project walk you know we can donate hours and have people come in and and train but but it's the it's when you go home you know, when you leave that hospital, what, you know, a lot of people can't even get out of their house. And so my foundation steps in and, and helps people with that. Wow. And do you often find people that have the similar rare condition that, that you once had? Um, at Project Walk, we've had a few that have come in um, with either the transverse myelitis or the acute disseminated encephalomyelitis. Um, yeah. But with my foundation, it's, it's an array of individuals. We have veterans, we have small children we I think our youngest is seven months old our youngest scholarship recipient is seven months old so it varies um but at Project Walk it's an array of individuals with neurological conditions wow Mm -hmm. well I want to end it off I know you have a quote I that we saw on your website of the definition do you have that memorized I have it here if you want face it embrace it I believe so. Or is it what is it that one? Uh, it's the heroes in real life. Don't wear. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have that memorized? I can have it here. 
I can um, write it for you. I, yeah. I mean, I, I said it at one point. <laughs> so I hope so. I, yeah. I, I, I have the short-term memory of a fish, okay? Like, me let's too. Let's be real. Okay. Yeah, but you have a long-term memory, it seems, as well. I have a great long-term memory, short-term yeah. memory, not so much. I'm like Dory. <laughs> like, I am Dory. That's, that is that is one thing. But um, I think I remember it. Yeah, it's heroes in real life don't wear masks and capes. Sometimes they don't stand out at all. But the real heroes in life are the ones that whisper in your ear, you can do it. In the darkest period of my life, when I couldn't find, when I couldn't help myself, my heroes were there. Sometimes we just need someone to lean over and whisper, you can do, you can it. do it. Wow, powerful stuff. <laughs> Thanks so much, Victoria, for Thank being you. on. And uh, tune in. Where can people find you online? What's something they should tune into? Um, they coming can up? follow me on Instagram. I That's usually where all my shenanigans happen. I'm at Arlen V1. And then uh, American Ninja Warrior is coming up. Junior in Junior, yeah. Perfect. Check it out, guys. Thanks so much for being on, Victoria. Thank you so much. Awesome. Cool. Thank you. Sweet. That was awesome. That was a good memory. If I was me, I couldn't even remember (laughs) a sentence of that. Thanks for making it all the way to the end of the show. Hope you really enjoyed our guest today and that you took one thing valuable from our conversation. If you haven't already, I would love it if you could leave a quick rating or review on whichever network you're listening to the show and share this episode with one friend if you found it valuable. And if it's something that a friend, a family member, or just someone that you care about could find a little bit of insight from what you learned today. All right. Ciao.